Welcome to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast, where you get help and guidance through the chaos of parenting a child with anxiety or OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the guidance of a qualified professional. Here's your host, child therapist, Natasha Daniels. Well, hello there, and welcome to another episode of the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. I hope you're doing well today. Today is a really good topic. I think it's so important. It's something that I don't feel like we talk about enough in the anxiety and OCD world, but I'm seeing it being talked about more often, and that is about self-compassion. A lot of times with our kids with anxiety or OCD or with ourselves, we miss that that step of how do we foster self-compassion? Because when you have anxiety or OCD, you also sometimes have just this negativity or self-criticism or self-doubt, and it can really weigh you down. So we have been talking a lot about self-compassion in the last, I would say, six or seven months. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I always talk about what I'm experiencing. It's just what I do. It's how I teach is like through my own experiences. You know, after my husband passed away in February, like learning self-compassion and self-care has been not a choice, but a requirement. And it has really gotten me to talk about it more in this world about raising our kids with anxiety and OCD. So we did talk about that in episode 214 when I had Dr. Shafali on and we talked about self-compassion for yourself and how important that is. And then we also talked about compassion fatigue when we are tapped out in episode 213. And we talked about how to help our kids with anxiety or OCD develop self-compassion in episode 216. So when I found out that Kimberly Quinlan was writing a book on self-compassion, it seemed really perfect to invite her on and have her go more in depth about how self-compassion is a struggle for people with anxiety and OCD, how to foster that and how it helps. And so Kimberly Quinlan, for those of you who aren't familiar with her work, she created a podcast, a great podcast called Your Anxiety Toolkit that's been around for a long time. And she has an amazing Instagram account at Kimberly Quinlan. And she also is the creator of cbtschool.com. And so I'll leave links in the show notes for all that. But she provides like online resources and online classes for people with anxiety and OCD. And she is actually coming out with a book called the self-compassion workbook for OCD October 1st. And it sounds fantastic. And so we have a really good discussion about the ways that you wouldn't even realize that self-compassion intermingles with anxiety and OCD and can really be a barrier to progress if it's not addressed. And so it's an important thing to address. So before we get into all of that, I do want to thank NoCD for sponsoring this episode. NoCD provides online OCD therapy in the US, the UK, Australia, Canada, like lots of different countries. And you can schedule a free 15-minute consultation just to see if NoCD is a right fit for you and your child. And I always tell parents, if you're not sure your child has OCD, there's a really easy way to do it. You can call NoCD and you can get an assessment done and then see where to go from there. Um, A lot of times we can't find virtual therapists, um, especially virtual pediatric OCD therapists. NoCD is a great place to start. So you can go to treatmyocd.com. That's treatmyocd.com. And I will leave a link in the show notes as well. So without further ado, here is my interview with Kimberly Quinlan. Well, I want to welcome Kimberly Quinlan to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. 
Yeah, it's an honor to have you on because I mean, we've worked in the same world, but they have not really even talked to you personally. So it's nice to have you come on and get you to share your wisdom with the people that are listening. We're going to talk about something I think that is so important. I've been talking a lot more about it lately, which is self-compassion. And I'm so excited. This is your thing. This is your world. I feel like you just like ooze self-compassion. <laughs> you know, like, It's your message. So I want to dive in and talk about why you feel, and some of this seems really obvious, but I think it's good for people to hear this. Like why why do you feel like self-compassion is important with anxiety and OCD? Right. It is so important. I, I actually felt it was a missing piece of the treatment plan, right? Even as I was an intern, you know, I didn't have a lot of experience. I had my own anxiety and my family's anxiety, but I didn't have a lot of, you know, experience myself with having OCD or, or those disorders. I myself had an eating disorder. And what I was immediately struck with with, is how hard people are on themselves for having anxiety, right? So having anxiety is one hard thing, but then they would beat themselves up for having anxiety. And I think in addition, there was a lot of shame around either the thoughts they were having, the, the anxiety they were experiencing and how it was interrupting other people's lives, the compulsions that they were doing, the fact that they needed to cry during a panic attack or needed to leave the classroom. There was so much shame and guilt and self-judgment around that. And so when I was an intern, I, I was using the treatment and being trained in the treatment, but there was this other piece missing where, you know, how they felt about themselves and how they treated themselves wasn't being looked at. And so a lot of my meditation practice and and my Buddhist uh, understanding of Buddhist philosophy, I started to try and just implement that wherever I could. And it seems to work, right? It seems to be making big shifts for people. And so now it's just such a huge part of my work with clients and my team's work with clients. So it's so important. It is important. I love that you say, like, I think a lot of us in our training, it is ERP focused and you'll even have clinicians who really stay tightly in their lane. Like I'm just here to do ERP and that missing component. And you brought up so many different ways. It's like a tree, like so many different branches and how it impacts our Mm self-esteem. You know, you're putting other people out, you know, and I think about my own kids and how they feel so guilty afterwards. Like, I'm sorry, mom, I'm sorry that we have to leave. or I'm sorry that I caused that. And just the intrusive thoughts and the themes that they have that make you feel like a bad person. Um, there's just so many different layers that can that can create that negativity towards yourself. Right. And we, and we tend to not touch that. I mean, I don't want to generalize, but I think in the pure OCD world, we're just, we're here to do ERP. And I'm feeling like there's this new branch and you're definitely like pioneering that where there's, you know, we can talk about ACT, acceptance, commitment therapy, and focusing on our holistic, our whole self. And the self-compassion piece is, is new and so important. And mm. I, I love that you're sprinkling that in your work. So yeah. in what ways do you see it? Cause we were talking all through email before and you sent me some questions and one of them was really interesting that it impacts the effectiveness of ERP. And I thought that's interesting. So not only is it just like a feel good, like, Hey, you know, self-compassion is a really good thing, but I think like making that connection of saying, if you don't have self-compassion, ERP may not even be as effective. Can you speak on that? I thought that was a really interesting correlation. Yeah. Yeah. So I call them roadblocks to treatment, right? There are many roadblocks to treatment. One of them being that 
ERP is just really hard, right? Like no one wants to do ERP. It's painful. And so when we're faced with something that's difficult, right? A hard thing, I call it a hard thing. I'm very well known for saying the phrase, it's a beautiful day to do hard things, right? So when we do a hard thing, we have to work through a lot of emotion and a lot of sensations and a lot of fear. And so, you know, using simple ERP, you know, just exposure and response prevention, that's so effective. But there's a whole experience in there for the person where they have to ride a wave of a lot of discomfort. And sometimes when we have discomfort and if we're beating ourselves up for that discomfort or we're beating ourselves up on how we're coping with that discomfort, well, now we've got two discomforts. We've just doubled it. Not only we do we have the discomfort, but we have the judgment, the, discom- the discomfort that comes from that judgment. And so self-compassion is simply just treating yourself the same way you would treat a loved one if they were doing a hard thing or feeling a, a degree of discomfort. So self-compassion isn't there to make the discomfort go away. It's actually just to create a safe place for you to feel discomfort right? And so when we can do that, you're much more able to face the 10 out of 10 anxiety because you're not doubling whatever you're feeling with judgment and self-criticism, maybe even self-punishment. I've found clients much more willing to do exposures when they're kind to themselves with whatever discomfort arises in that exposure, right? Yeah. That's the biggest part of the work we're doing a lot of times too is if you have which I keep saying the word discomfort if you have a thought and that thought rises your anxiety and you have an immediate biological reaction right fight flight freeze when you have that and you kind of then wrestle with it and and get all aggressive with yourself for having it who wants to face that, right? Your, your motivation and your willingness to do exposure is much greater when you know that you will provide yourself a kind place instead of a critical place. It almost feels like that'd be a great place for people to start, whether they're a therapist or a parent is building up that self-compassion before they jump into the exposures, because you're bringing up so many good points. Like they're going to be more effective and I can see it in both ways. And I'm thinking about my kids because that's all I ever think about, you know, and I'm thinking about my own anxiety too. And that judgment on top of it, you know, like, why, why do I feel nauseous? Can I handle this? Like, gosh, what is wrong with me? So being self-compassionate being like, you have disorder, you know, just because you feel nauseous doesn't mean you don't still do it, but you know, yeah, physiologically it's going to show up. Mm-hmm. And then how you frame exposures. I know with my son, we do struggle with that. It's like, how do you when, when you can't do the full exposure or when you're trying to do something and it's like having that self-compassion of, you know, you're doing really well. And how do you have that internal dialogue instead of that external dialogue of me cheerleading? We'll get into that in a minute, like as far as what the parent can do. But, mm-hmm. you know, when he is more positive and he says, mom, I took the last bite, OCD wanted the last bite, but I took the last bite. You know, I felt nauseous, but I took it anyway. You know, there's that self-love of I did something hard because I care about myself and I don't want OCD to grow. So yeah, I, I do see how they're inter intertwined. Yeah. Well, I use the metaphor of, and this is not science, 
proven, like this is just the way I conceptualize it. Um, and I write about this in my book is, yeah, you think about it like a compassion sandwich, right? So, so the exposure and the response prevention is the meat and the cheese of the sandwich. It's the most important part of the meal, but, but the bread that surrounds it is the compassion. So be, you do an exposure, you, before you do the exposure, you you know, acknowledge whatever discomfort or anticipatory anxiety comes up and you meet that gently. Then you do your exposures as kindly as you can with response prevention. And then at the end, the most compassionate thing you can do is to celebrate the fact that you just did the hard thing, even if you didn't do it well, Mm -hmm. right? That's the most compassionate thing you can do. I even think like the celebration is a part of exposure as well because it reinforces like your OCD won't win this one. I will celebrate this because it was a win. Even if it's something that other people can do, it's still warranted that I jump up and down and have a party over this one. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that is the self-compassion. The celebration is so important and it does. It solidifies that, that behavior and that win. So, so we talked a little bit about how it shows up because it can show up in a lot of different ways. I mean, I find, you know, with moral OCD or having those really like taboo intrusive thoughts, you can, you know, feel like you're a bad person. But even with other issues, with anxiety, you know, like for me, just feeling like I can't talk to someone or feeling, you know, judgment on feeling anxious about something that I feel like you should get over this. So it can really happen in any area. What are some ways that people can build in some self-compassion for themselves? We'll talk about it first person and then we'll talk about it parent-wise. Yeah. Well, there are many different practices, right? Self-compassion can be cognitive. So it's the way you think. It can also be physical, meaning how you touch your body, right? How you take care of your body. And it can be physical in terms of what kind of self-care you do for yourself. The first important thing to remember, and this is something I often, you know, I have written about and I'm always, is first is just validation. The biggest reason people judge themselves is it comes from a place of shame, which is, I'm the only person who's doing bad in this area, right? I'm the only person who's totally messing up. And so validation, you know, a really common self-compassion sentence is it makes complete sense that I feel this way. Mm -hmm. Anybody who had been through exactly the same experiences I have been would feel exactly the same way that I feel right now. It makes complete sense. Another one, which again, this is more of of a way of thinking, is to validate in terms of it's okay that I feel this way, right? I I accept that this is my feeling. There's nothing wrong with me for feeling this way, right? Just like a big piece of the work I do in terms of OCD treatment is my thoughts do not define me, Mm -hmm. right? Because that's probably the most common way people get into self-judgment is that they think their thoughts is a direct reflection of what kind of human they are. And that's particularly hard for people who, like you said, who have thoughts that are more taboo. And so it's also going, that's my thought. It makes sense that that would upset me. But my thoughts, I'm not going to then respond to that thought in a compulsive way, which is to say that means something about me. Mm-hmm. I'm also going to not going to spend my time trying to solve what that means about me. That's a compassionate act as well, mm-hmm. right? You could then go into much more uh, advanced practices or moderate exercises, which is physically 
sending yourself warmth and nurturing and compassion. You can see here as we talk, I always put my hand on my heart. For me, that's where I connect to compassion. If, you know, when I'm in pain, I, don't, I can't even help it anymore. My heart hand just goes there. But I know a lot of people who have physical symptoms, tummy aches, headaches. They, they've practiced just gently, like just if they need to, just to send themselves care and compassion. Like, I'm so sorry, brain, that you're hurting. I'm so sorry, tummy, that you're feeling this way. You know, that's not fair. So you're holding your hand or touching yourself in a nurturing way. And then the last thing is engaging in kind activities. A lot of people with OCD punish themselves for either having anxiety or for doing compulsions or for their thoughts right? And so what we want to do is the way to, again, take the last bite, the way to win this is the way to sort of win the fight against OCD, if you wanted to, is no matter how many thoughts you have or how much anxiety you treat yourself well, that's you taking back your life from OCD, Mm -hmm. giving yourself a a lovely bath or sitting in and allowing yourself to have fun or to do something special with your parents or so forth. That's also a big part of the work. What do you think? And I love everything you said. You know, I think that those are things that aren't intuitive for some people. You Mm -hmm. know, I think some people, I like the whole, like putting, putting your hands on, you know, that spot and giving yourself some warmth uh, or taking some steps to think about what does help you, you know, um, emotionally, mentally, how you think about yourself and that internal dialogue, but also physically, how, how do you take care of yourself? What do you think are some barriers that people come up against when when they're trying to do some self-compassion? There are multiple. I actually did a non-scientific poll on around a thousand people where they submitted their, their thoughts on their roadblocks. And from those submissions, I actually created the most common roadblocks. One of the most common is I don't deserve it. Hmm. And a lot of what the work I do is taking away this societal belief that we've been raised to believe in that you have to like check off all these box to be deserving and worthy, right? You need to be good at school and you need to have this kind of body and you need to have this many friends and you have to have this much money and so forth. And, and that's all just based on marketing and commercial capitalism, right? It's the, the marketing and advertising world, world saying you need to be more. If you're not more, you're not deserving of good things right? Mm -hmm. But what we do is we go, no, you were born worthy. Nothing you can do will take that worthiness away that you're deserving of love, no matter what, no matter what you do, no matter what happens. Yeah. I love that. And I think there is this expectation, especially for those of us that have anxiety and OCD, we're like very hard on ourselves, Mm -hmm. you know, that we need to do all these things before I know I'm, I was like that. I need to do all these things before I'm allowed to watch Netflix or I have to, and there was always something else to do. You know, I think it's that anxious mind. And so I never relaxed because I had other things I needed to do to earn that. And I think that shifting that thought, like you're saying and saying one, taking care of ourselves is important so that we can be effective in the things that we want to do, but we don't have to earn it. It's not something we have to earn and we become a better person. We actually, I feel like Sometimes we operate, and this isn't really about anxiety or OCD, it's just about self-compassion in general. I think we operate from a lack perspective, like we're we're half empty and we look outside, and especially for social anxiety, like we look outside of ourselves to get that completeness, to get to feel filled up. 
And when we fill ourselves up, whether we take the time to do these activities that fill us up or even change our internal dialogue, we're coming from a whole place where we can then connect with people in a more genuine, authentic way, because we're not looking for something from them. Right. We're complete. So it's good. Like it's just good in general. Yeah. (laughs) Overall. Yeah. Yeah. And they've done lots of research around the difference between building self-esteem and practicing self-compassion. And they've found that self-compassion has a much better quality of life when you practice not, you know, when we're focused on like, how can I be better? How can I feel good about myself? That's like a moving target because you might get to the goal and then somebody else does it better than you. And now the goal keeps raising and changing, but self-compassion is actually not the practice of being better, but just tending to who you are right now and tending to what's showing up for you right now and celebrating who you are right now, sort of taking stock on you know, I, I am who I am. And so there's some acceptance involved in there too. The thing I keep always, and I want to mention is I, I always remind people that self-compassion isn't flowers and unicorns, right? It's hard. It's really hard work because you're actually leaning into your discomfort instead of replacing it. I, I myself have fallen into this trap so much. It was a huge part of my eating disorder of no matter when self-discomfort shows up, I'll put something positive on it. I'll try and reach this goal. I'll try and look this way. I'll try and, you know, constantly trying, trying, trying. Where self-compassion is actually going, ah, okay, where, where are you, Kimberly? What do you need? Mm-hmm. What do you need? Right? Not what what do you need to be better? Just right. what is it that you need to tend to what you're feeling? Yeah. And sometimes that question alone can be so helpful. I love that. I love that reframe because self-compassion will make you, you'll feel more empowered. Like the end result will be the same. You'll feel more empowered. You'll have more self-efficacy that you can do things, but it's from a more a more real perspective, you know, that it gets you off that hamster wheel completely. And it's just sitting in acceptance. And I love that because it's, it's so true. You know, I feel like I talk more about self-compassion in the last six or seven months because of like my own struggles. And I never talked about self-compassion before then, but then I was like forced to have self-compassion because I just like my whole entire body shut down. Very similar to like what someone would experience with anxiety or OCD. It's like, it wasn't an option whether I wanted to be sharp or not. Like I wasn't sharp and And I think it's kind of like what you're talking about. Instead of saying, how do I get better? You know, you find this in the grief world too. You know, even in the grief support groups I go to, it's how do you get better? And it's like, no, how do I accept this and see what, what's my next step in front of me? You know, and yes, of course I don't feel good today. You know, I have anxiety or OCD or I'm having grief and how do I take care of myself today? Or what do I need today? And maybe today I'm going to take a nap or maybe today I'm going to go do something for myself and cancel that. And it's a, it's a totally different way of thinking for a lot of people, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I just find it's better for our long-term wellness Mm -hmm. because instead of us having a negative relationship or an unhealthy relationship with our suffering, we have a very nurturing relationship. The cool thing is about this, and this has been true for myself is I always ran away from whatever discomfort I had right? Whatever I could do to make it glossy and pretty, I would do. But that meant that I was constantly afraid of my feelings. 
constantly running from my feelings and my self-compassion practice. Now I feel empowered that I could feel any emotion, even the worst place your mind can go. I'm still scared of those things, right? No one wants to, you know, have everyone's afraid of the same things, right? Losing a loved one or, or something terrible happening or dying and so forth. But there's a, there's a sense of confidence in that no matter what I have to go through, I'll be there for myself. Mm -hmm. I'll create a safe place. And again, that empowers people who are doing ERP or going through difficult times because you know, you've got your back and that you'll be able to hold space for the emotion instead of constantly running. Mm -hmm. It's so true. Yeah. And it helps you through life because we don't have control over any of those things and believing in yourself, which sounds cheesy, but there's so much goodness from that. Then you do feel like, okay, I can handle whatever comes at me. I mean, that's, you know, that's been my new feeling is what's on the plate today, you know, and when it's right in my face, I'll handle it. And I know I'll handle it the way I can, because I'm, I've worked on my self-compassion. So I feel like that's, it's a gift we can give our kids too. So I want to pivot and talk about how do we, because it's one thing for us to do it. I mean, like I've done crazy self-compassion the last seven months and I was, you know, you have to also look at the stories that you tell yourself. Cause for me, I'm like, I'm being hedonistic or I'm being, you know, overindulgent, but my body literally shut down and it wasn't an option. And it took that for me to be self-compassionate, which is unfortunate. So I can do that stuff and I can model it for my kids. I'll write down on my board. We have a whiteboard in my house. And I was, you know, because my brain like hasn't come back, I have like widow fog. I'll write down what we're doing each day and I'll write down my appointments too. So I'll be like, mom has a therapy appointment. I float in a salt tank once a week. <laughs> you know, So I'll be like, mom's floating. Mom, I get a massage every week. Like I do a lot of physical stuff because I carry my stress and my, my kids are seeing it. So I'm modeling, not that self-care has to be physical like that, but you know, for me, it has to be very physical because my body holds my stress so we can model it. But then how do we, how do we foster self-compassion in our kids? Right. Well, I think you're on the right track because it is a lot of modeling, right? I mean, I've got one son who's very confident in himself and one, a daughter who is really hard on herself. And so it's modeling to her, my own self-care. A lot of it's also being more open with her about how I'm handling my own things. So I'm modeling through telling her, like, I'm going through a really hard time and telling her my instincts are to do this, Mm -hmm. but I'm actually instead, I'm going to be really gentle with myself, right? I'm actually just going to be here. And and so I'm coaching her while actually just telling her how I'm riding the wave of discomfort, right? It feels so in feels so terrible, but I'm noticing the thoughts about her. I'm noticing my chest is tightening. And then I might even model like me putting my hand and like breathing it out and and tell her, I'm not doing this to make it go away. I'm just Mm -hmm. doing this because I deserve kindness, right? That I'm a human and that we all suffer and we can run away from suffering or I can just be here with it and and be tender with it. So I can coach them on how I'm handling things. But then when she's being particularly hard on herself, I will just model it to her, right? I will treat her in the way that one day I hope she'll treat herself. Hmm. So it's me going, wow, that sounds really, really hard for you, right? That in and of itself is is a neutralizing statement because it validates it doesn't try and take their pain away. It's not me going, 
how can I make it better? And, yes. you know, let me fix you because we, we know we can't handle your discomfort, right? It's me going, wow, that sounds like a really rough day for you, right? And just saying nothing is ultimately an act of compassion because it's me modeling to her, I don't need you to take this discomfort away because there's nothing wrong with it. Right? And that I think is a huge aha probably for a lot of people listening because I think that's what a lot of us parents with kids with anxiety and OCD do. We, we have our own stuff and we're uncomfortable with our kids' discomfort. And so I feel like we're a bad parent. I'm not, I'm saying the, you know, rhetorical, we, you know, like we're a bad parent if we don't swoop in and make them happy again. And I love how you're saying that teaching self-compassion is teaching that there's nothing wrong with that emotion, Mm. just being there and being present, which I think would be very counterintuitive for a lot of parents, but it's saying, you know, I know this is hard for you and I'm here for you. We're here together, you know, but not swooping in and telling them inadvertently, no one wants to do this, but sending that message that it's not okay to be anything but happy. Yeah. Um, you know, get on the happy trail, you know, and that's, that's, um, that's a lot of energy and a lot of work <laughs> You yeah. know, to maintain the happiness. Yeah. Let me, let me actually normalize for everybody that I'm not good at this either. It was only two nights ago. My daughter is very sensitive to sensations and sensory. And one of her items of clothing was very, very uncomfortable. And she kept saying, but it's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. Like, like she was saying to me, like, I need you to fix this. Right. And it was the opposite. Because sometimes parents try to fix their kids and sometimes the kids want their parents to fix them. And I was doing what I preach, which is like, I, I get that this is so uncomfortable for you. And, you know, I'm here for you. Right. Trying to model that. And then I got overwhelmed, right? With like, ah, I can't do it. And I, I kind of flipped myself. So I'm not perfect at this. But then my job is once I've calmed down, we go back and I repair it by going, I totally felt some big feelings. I That must have made you feel uncomfortable. Let's be gentle because we were both in a lot of discomfort then right? I don't want her to feel responsible for me. I take full accountability, but you can still repair with compassion yeah. even when you mess up. Yeah. And I'm glad you went back and said that because, you know, it's being imperfectly perfect. Like none of us, like I am a mess a lot of the time. You know? And so sometimes my kids will even say like, I can't believe you're a therapist. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they know exactly how to get me. It's about that repairing. It's about coming back. And even if you don't, sometimes that's fine too. It's just about coming back. It's never too late to process that or to use that as a lesson in and of itself that you're human and, you know, your stuff gets in there. So I I love that because I think that that kind of comes back to the, to the last thing I want to talk about is self-compassion for, for you as a parent, Mm -hmm. raising a child with anxiety or OCD or in general, just a parent, how important that is. Yeah. Yeah. So the the number one rule is be compassionate about your self-compassion practice because you're (laughs) not going to be good at this. (laughs) You're going to be really bad at this and you're to be gentle with yourself around that. I have a lot of parents and myself included who beat themselves up for not being good at self-compassion, which is the opposite. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I think that our, our job here is again, the only reason we're hard on ourselves as parents is because of an expectation that we were supposed to be good at this. When were we ever going to be good at something we haven't done before? 
You would never ask somebody to run in the Olympics after never have ran, ran in any kind of athlete event before. This is the first time I've ever been a parent. I'm guessing it's the first time you've ever been a parent. So, so let's actually just drop down to our common humanity, which is I was never supposed to be great at this, right? And then that gives us a much bigger space to feel our own feelings and to ride the waves of discomfort. If you could just first offer yourself the kind idea that you weren't supposed to be good at this, that this is something that we learn, there's no end goal, right? Mm -hmm. Except hopefully that you treat yourself with respect and kindness, right? Mm -hmm. And so take away the, the end journey. And as a parent, I strongly encourage you, as you've already explained, is we are maxed out to limits beyond any other generation as parents. For some reason, we have fallen under this belief that taking time to ourselves is a selfish thing. Mm -hmm. You could not be a better parent for modeling that for your child and for taking time and asking yourself, what do I need, right? In the time that you take, don't do what you think you should do because of what good parents do. Mm -hmm. Really listen, what do you need? For me, sometimes it's I just put on like the rolling stones <laughs> and I stare at the roof, like nothing gets done. I don't even like the rolling stones that much, but for some reason, that's what my body is saying it needed, right? Like a heavy beat and just to zone out. There'll be other days where I might, my body might need a walk or there's another day my body might need you, like you said, a massage, but make sure you're putting that in because we can't take care of other people if we haven't given ourselves enough space to just feel our feelings. Yeah. Yeah. And you become such a better parent, I think, as a result of that, because when you take that time, which you think it's taking, I'll have parents say, well, it's taking time away from my kid, or I don't have time for that because I have a front burner issue and I need to be there 110% for my child. And I think what a lot of times parents don't realize, and I think even I didn't realize this until I really was forced to take a pause is the more we focus on ourselves and filling ourselves up and recharging the more we are really there for our kids, mm -hmm. like a solid anchor, because I'm solid. Now I can be solid for you. Yeah. And I can be present because I took care of myself first, which is really yeah. important. Yeah. I, I tend to quickly go into resent when I, when I'm overwhelmed, like, mm -hmm. like what about, like there's this reaction that happens in me. And so that doesn't show up when I give myself time. Mm -hmm. Right. I encourage people to really sit down and look at like, if I don't give myself time, how do I show up? Then do an experiment of giving yourself time and seeing how you show up. And you won't believe the story that I don't, you know, that it's a problem to take time. You'll see the evidence in how better you are at responding because you're not tapped out. Yeah. And sometimes it's a matter of what are you not going to do? You know, I think that was my thing too, was what things can I let go of? And, yeah. you know, I have never had, I'm just going to say, well, not never, but I mean, I rarely would have a sink full of dishes. Like I'm a bit of a neurotic person, you know, I would never leave a load of laundry sitting there for three days, you know, and now I'm like, I'm like swinging to the other side, you know, like, mm -hmm. I don't really feel like doing that today. You know, like my body is so exhausted. I'm like always exhausted now. I'm like, I'm tired and that's okay. I'm not, you know, the dishes can wait. So I think sometimes like, I don't need to 
volunteer at blah, 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 or I don't need to. It's like knowing your limits and knowing what you can cut out as well as add to recharge, which is all about self-compassion. So you wrote a self-compassion workbook for OCD, which I'm very excited about. I have not seen it yet. It comes out in October, I believe. Is it October, October 1st? Fest. That's exciting. Yeah, it's very exciting. I think the OCD world and the world in general needs that. You know, we need some alternative tools to like expand. Can you talk about the book and what's in it? Yeah, so the it's called the Self-Compassion Workbook for OCD. It is a front-to-back treatment manual, right? So it is it talks you through the roadblocks of self-compassion and why that is a, such an important component of treatment. It will walk you through identifying your own obsessions and compulsions. And then I show you different ways of doing exposures using self-compassion. So we have compassion-focused imaginal exposures and compassion-focused interoceptive exposures. So we're really trying to show people different ways you can face your fear in a self-compassionate way. And then at the very end of the book, we talk a lot about the grief that comes from having OCD and the shame and the guilt It was a common conversation that I didn't feel was being discussed enough of just grieving the loss of what has been taken from you by having these disorders. And we talk a lot about how to use self-compassion to tend to those big emotions. And yeah, I'm in love with the book. I'm so excited to have it come out. Yeah, it sounds very cool. And I I didn't realize that you actually like integrated like how to do, you know, compassionate exposures. That's very cool. For the age range, I know it's an adult book, but how how young do you think it can go? Like teens? Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's very self-explanatory. It, it it's really just walking you through basically what happened. It was a whole thing with the publishers, and we were back and forwards on how to do it. And then at the end, I basically said, "Listen, I'm just going to walk you through exactly what treatment looks like with me, <laughs> from front to end. Right? Yeah. I'll, I'll explain OCD. I'll explain why exposures are important. I'll show you how to do them compassionately. And then we'll really tend to everything that's left over after treatment. So that was how I wrote the books. So it would be fine for any teen up to adult. For children, there's some concepts you could modify for children, but it's, I would say for teens and up. Yeah. And I also, I think it's great for parents to read these books, even if it you're not going to directly give it to your child. Because it teaches you how to talk to your child in a way. It teaches you how to sprinkle. Like, I'm going to read it and I'll I'll use those concepts. I'm sure they're going to be new and different concepts than I'm used to in how I approach my kids, you know, and how, when we talk about exposures and so what a valuable tool for everybody. Well, I'll leave links in the show notes. You also have CBT school. If you want to just talk a little bit about that before we go. Sure. Yeah. So um, I have a private practice and for those people who can't access clinical private practice work, we created CBT school, which is basically a psychoeducation platform where you can access courses about ERP and hair pulling and skin picking. We also have a free podcast that comes out every Friday called Your Anxiety Toolkit. And so, and now we have the book. And so again, that's for people who either don't have access to, you know, face-to-face client clinical uh, therapists or want to, you know, just have an additional supplement to treatment in terms of just hearing it being said a different way and maybe getting the motivation that they need. 
And, and so that's why we created CBT school. Yeah. I love it. And I'll leave uh, links in the show notes for CBT school, although CBT school.com. So it's pretty easy. And the book that's coming out. So you can check that out. I know one time I was in therapy and someone was like, have you ever heard of this girl, Kimberly Quinlan? (laughs) I thought that was like, so like, you know, small world, you know, I know you're wonderful out there and it's definitely helping people. So thanks for all that you do. Oh, thank you. You're doing amazing work. I'm, I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Thanks. All right. Well, I hope you found that helpful. Definitely. I'll leave links in the show notes for her new book, the self-compassion workbook for OCD. Check it out. I love that. It's actually going to walk you through doing exposures. I didn't realize cause I, it hasn't come out yet, so I haven't seen it, but I did not realize that it was actually going to walk you through treatment with the self-compassion sprinkle. So even if you have a younger child and it's not like a book that you can hand to a teenager, you can hand it to a teenager, but it's not a book you're going to hand to your nine-year-old. I still would recommend it because I think the more we can learn how to talk to our kids that will foster self-compassion and self-love is huge. And this would be a great tool in your toolkit. So I'll leave links in the show notes for her book, for her CBT school, for her social media. You can check her out on Instagram as well and see what she's doing over there. If you're finding the podcast helpful, don't forget to hit the star wherever you are consuming your podcast. If you can leave a review or comment about how it's helping you, that's awesome. I appreciate the 30 seconds it takes to write one, and it does really help other parents who are in your boat. So I always like to end reading one of those if I can find one. Um, And I want to thank Sally H who wrote, "Um, I cannot begin to express what you've done for, for me with my child. She cannot stand me. And after listening to this one, it's around discussed OCD. And thank you, first of all, Sally, for leaving the comment. And also, I'm so glad that you found that episode because a lot of times we can take those things personally and really not ever realize what is actually going on with our kids and that it's not about us, right? That it can be an OCD theme that we are kind of just entangled with. So hopefully that kind of got you in the right direction in getting help for the right issue. And if you write a review, maybe I'll be reading your review next time. So I hope you guys are doing well. I hope you're finding a sparkle in everything you do. I hope you listen to this episode today and you're like, how can I foster my own self-compassion and just pick one thing today that you can do that maybe you wouldn't have done if you hadn't heard this episode. And a lot of times we're just thinking about what we can do for our kids, but I want you to pause and think, what can I do for myself? Because when you are charged up and when you're feeling good about just being present for wherever you are, you're going to be more present for your child. You know, for the last few days, I've been so exhausted and there was judgment to that. I'm like, why am I tired? I'm getting enough sleep. Like, what is my deal? I feel healthy. Like I don't, it's not like I'm coming down with something. And, you know, like Kimberly said, I just sat in it. I said, you know what? You've been through a lot. It's been seven months and it's been a lot and you're allowed to be tired. And so if you're tired, what things do you have to, you know, not do today? What things can you take off your schedule? Maybe you can even take a nap in the middle of the day before you pick up your kids, which I, by the way, would never do, but maybe I will today. I don't know. What will you do today? Find something, make it worthwhile. Okay. Well, I will talk to you next time. Take care. Bye. Thank you for listening to the AT Parenting Survival Podcast. To get additional support raising a child with anxiety or OCD, visit Natasha's online school of on-demand classes at atparentingsurvivalschool.com.